This is a crowd podcast. I'm Sam Warburton and you're listening to Captains. Today, my guest is former world, European and Commonwealth champion in the 400m hurdles and Team GB athletics captain in the London 2012 Olympics, Di Green. I've gone all season finishing first, second or third, and then I ended up finishing fourth in my semi-final. Whether Usain Bolt, Mo Farah, you've all had to qualify the same way to get there. Nobody just is allowed to turn up at the Olympics. Hi everyone, thanks again for listening to Captains. It's a fascinating one this week. I love hearing from those who have risen to leadership roles in individual sports. I was flying the flag in the track and field world while I was playing internationals, but it's crazy that our paths haven't crossed before. Here he speaks about those London Olympics, but we touch on loads of other topics, speaking out against drug cheats, using your training partners to spur you on, and how, ultimately, to get the best out of your team of individuals. Enjoy my conversation with Di Green. Di, pleasure to have you on, buddy. Thanks for having me on, Sam. It's uh, great to finally meet you and not watch you through the TV every every other weekend. <laughs> Genuine pleasure to, pleasure to have you on. But in another life, in a parallel universe, I could be speaking to you as the former captain of Swansea City. Would that would I be right in saying that? Yeah, yeah. So like as a youngster, yeah, I used to play for Swansea City. I was signed when I was 12. I was signed until I was 19. I certainly had the ability, but like physically, I was probably a little bit behind in terms of my development. I was a late developer. But I, um, I sadly sort of fell out of love with the sport in around sort of 15, 16. I had a coach who for a year just sort of gave us a hard time and I couldn't deal with that. I was always the good kid who would, you know, I would do everything the coach wanted, 100% effort all the time. I didn't need to be sort of shouted at. I needed to be sort of like lifted up as it were. To, you know, I had no confidence in myself. And um, then we moved on to the year later at a different coach. And he was fantastic. He made me sort of in charge of all the fitness stuff pre-season. And then about three or four weeks into it, um, there was like a coaching restructuring. We had the old coach back and I lasted another couple of months and I was just really, was just low on confidence, not enjoying it. And I, I stepped away from it then and sort of, uh, yeah, probably at that point in my life, early college years, sort of lost my way in terms of sports. Didn't realize so much that that was like the crunch time where you try to make it. Um, but yeah, I just sort of found my way into athletics a little bit more after that then really. I always thought as an athlete, you, you would probably stand out like a sore thumb, you know, with, with your speed and in your case, your sort of speed endurance. What age did you realistically think that you had the potential to be a world champion runner if football was so dominant in your early years? Yeah, so for me, uh, when I went to uni, I fell in with the right crowd. At college, I used to go out every weekend, didn't really play sport, didn't really do athletics. University had changed for me. I was, I was in Cardiff, surrounded by like-minded individuals who wanted to train every day. And it's just like snowballs. So by the time I finished my first year at uni, so that's nine, 18 going on 19, I think, I was one of the best juniors in Europe. I didn't think at, for any, you know, at, at any point then I could be a world champion. It probably wasn't until 2009 where I sort of made my breakthrough on sort of the international stage that I realized that actually now I'm within touching distance whereas before I was just trying to sort of break into the senior ranks and get the qualifying times to be at the championships let alone be in the final um, so yeah quite late um, in terms of when you think of sports when you think that they're nailed on from a young age I think is, is, is quite obviously the cliche that we all experience and you know somebody who comes through and uh, has success at under 15, under 17. But for me, it was very late to the party. But 
my development curve was quite steep at that point. Oh, very steep. I was just about to jump in then straight into the deep end because <laughs> and ask you about the 2012 Olympics. And you were just saying then in 2009, you started realising you were getting the, the times that you needed. So within three years of that, you're asked to captain the GB athletics team for, for London. And am I right in saying you did... Uh, the same the same task for the European Championships the year before as well in 2011. Yeah, so we had a uh, we have a head coach in athletics and he sort of picks his captain and he picked me for captain in 2011 for the European Team Champs. That's a sm- much smaller event. I remember when he picked me for that, I was a bit surprised because I was still quite young. I hadn't won anything globally; just had won a European and a Commonwealth. But you know, I was very surprised because I felt like you know, half the team might not know me. Um, what you have to understand about athletics is that regardless of the competition where we don't know everybody on the team, we're a team of individuals. That's probably the best way to describe it. You don't train together all year round. You have a small training group that might be sort of eight to 10 people and maybe one or two of them might make the national team with you. Yeah, you certainly don't know the vast majority of the team. So when I got picked to be the captain in 2011, I was really, really surprised and um I guess it sort of helped me a bit with sort of probably a little bit of confidence as well at that time being told or being treated like somebody who's higher up in the team, somebody who has the respect of other athletes and other athletes speaking to me and saying congratulations around the captaincy and and the speech and whatever else was, it was good for me at that time in my career. I kind of needed that a little bit as well. So what is the role then? Because I remember hearing when you were announced, and I thought I thought that was massive. Because th- I think it was a team of seventy-eight people in the athletics team. It's a it's a lot of people they have to select from. So a, I remember thinking it's a heck of an accolade to have, particularly at a home Olympics. So what is the role of an athletics captain in in the Olympics? So I got picked that year in around Easter time. I got the call. Uh, I was on a training camp. The head coach rang me up, very direct, said, I want you to be my man for London. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll I'll think about it, even though I didn't need to think about it. He wanted me to think about it because there was going to be extra attention because of it. But um, it was obviously going to be a no-brainer for me. And my mindset has shifted from 2011 when I was surprised. And then going forward to 2012, I was like, oh, I want to be the captain this time. I want to be, you know, I want that job again. I really enjoyed it last time. Um and I felt like I represented the values of the head coach quite well, um, who is also, his values are kind of like in sync with my current coach. So we all sort of fitted well in terms of our personalities. But in terms of actual tasks, it doesn't entail a huge amount. So the main main task is to deliver a speech to everybody. Um, the head coach gives his speech, then the, the, the um, captain tends to follow. And then the only other thing then for me, from my perspective was that, I wanted to sort of lead by example. Do you know what I mean? I I, we, I can't be there for everybody else's competition. I can't give a, like you will have experienced, I can't give a prep talk before they go out onto the track to compete. That just doesn't exist in my world. I'll have this wind of opportunity to speak to them and, you know, make some impact maybe, but it's, it's not a huge thing that I can do. And the, the other main thing I was trying to do was stay out of news for bad reasons as well. And then trying to make sure my speech was, you know, good and solid, and um, yeah, just trying to exude up the right behaviour when I'm on the camp as well, in terms of how I'm interacting with therapists and staff and the rest of it to set the standard for those people who are coming through. And and you know, maybe it's their first chance, maybe they're a bit nervous, that sort of thing. 
I've seen you obviously come through and I've, I've seen the interviews and the way you conduct yourself. And it seems to me it's quite obvious that you're very professional, very driven, which I assume, I, I, well, I presume that every athlete, individual athlete is like that. Are they, is that perhaps one of the reasons you think you were picked as captain? Because it's more about setting standards rather than, like you say, you can't go around talking to everyone because you just don't have the time. And that's kind of overrated anyway. Captaincy and leadership is much more about what you do. Is that why you think they picked you, it's much more about the way you are, the standards you set, the atmosphere you can create rather than perhaps things you can say. Like you say, you only get a small opportunity, a small window of opportunity to speak to athletes. Yeah, absolutely. I would say definitely in my case, um, I felt like I was, I've always been a really good professional, um, prioritizing, doing things the right way. I don't throw my toys out to the pram. I'm quite pragmatic about things. When things go, don't go my way, I'm you know, quite level-headed. And I exude, I guess, a sort of quiet confidence about things. And I know that if I do things right uh, over and over, I'll get a good result at the end of it. And um, yeah, you won't get anything flamboyant from me in training and the prep camp and things like that. And that's very much the approach of the head coach at the time. He was he was a Dutch guy, Charles Van Comeny, and he, he, he sort of said it how it was. If he had an opinion, he would let you know whether you liked it or not. And it was very similar to my current coach at the time, Malcolm Arnold. So I felt like we were all on the same page. We all worked well together. And to touch on what you just said about all athletes being sort of motivated, it took me a long time to realize that not all athletes are sort of equally motivated. While we're all maybe making an Olympic team, not everybody on the team is going to be getting to a final. And part of that might be there on the development curve. They're just not quite there yet. Part of that might just be because they haven't worked hard enough to get to those finals or to get those medals. And when you, do, when you speak to those people, though, you, you know, they might tell you all of the things you want to hear, but their actions in training don't reflect that. And I, I've realized that probably the hard way, not the hard way, I realized that quite late on because I couldn't understand why no, everyone else wouldn't want to put the same commitment and effort in as myself. And I imagine that you're quite similar in that regard, that you, know, you tick all the right boxes, you do everything you can, and you want the rest of your squad to do exactly the same. You want them to be as well prepared as possible. I assume that that's you know how you would operate in, in your sort of your sport as well. Yeah, that, that's why I think um, I maybe sort of like gravitated towards watching you as an athlete as well. You know, going back, I was mad to think it was ten years ago mm-hmm. because you did sort of you give me that impression. And I also read that you you found it frustrating in football because you, you know you are part of a team and. The team comes first, obviously, rightly so. But you found it quite hard from an individual perspective if people weren't perhaps living up to the same standards as yourself. And I actually, as a rugby player, would get frustrated sometimes. I think, I wish I was an individual athlete because I can actually take complete control of how we're preparing and what we're doing. Because I'd say to people, say you're going on a tour, I'm like, you just got to commit yourself for eight weeks. Like, it's a fraction of time of your life. But if we get the result we want, it's a lifetime on, on your CV. And it would really, really annoy me if people didn't take it that seriously. I, that's quite surprising for me. I just presumed everybody would be uber professional. But when they're not, I don't know, as me as captain, I find that quite a frustrating thing. Not sure about you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say less so probably in a holding camp environment before champs because I'm very much just focused on what I'm doing. It's more the sort of the middle of winter and you need to grind out the sessions, you need to just Mm -hmm. get through the work. That's when I always found that 
in my sort of training group, I wanted to be surrounded by the right people. Bizarrely, like the best training partner I ever had in my career was somebody who I never really spoke to, another Welsh man called uh, Rhys Williams. You might have, you might, you probably have seen him race as well. Yeah, I've heard of yeah, Rhys. Yeah, yeah. Rhys, he is a lovely guy, super friendly to everybody, except we weren't friendly because he was a couple of years older than me. We started linking up just before I got good and then I burst through and sort of, I was where he wanted to be pretty much. And from my point of view, I felt like he didn't take that very well and wouldn't really engage with me at training, wouldn't speak or anything. We literally would just say like, three, two, one, go. Um, and, and that was it. And then we would just reconvene the start line after the recovery was up. And everybody I spoke to found out really weird that we couldn't, wouldn't speak and wouldn't be friendly. But for me, it was fantastic because I've got this guy who's you know, determined to beat me. He's every, every time we train together, he's pretty much snarling, desperate to try and sort of get one over on me. And, you know, <laughs> I don't want to show weakness in front of him either, because what am I going to do? Complain to him that I'm really tired. That's not going to help me for my next rep. And then that's bad psychology and it sort of snowballs from there. But none of us want, we didn't want to give an inch. So it just brought the best out of us. And, um, you know, while I, I've probably already spoken more to you than I have to him in our whole life, it's, uh, <laughs> It worked really well because he had high standards himself. And uh, yeah, I want, I always want to be surrounded by those people. Big time, same in rugby. You mentioned about the speech that you did mm-hmm. um, and it got a lot of publicity when, when you did it. When I was named captain, I remember chatting to my head coach being like, mate, I wasn't worried about the game. I was worried about what I was going to say in the post-match function like, I, I, or to the, to the boys. It's like being the best man of a wedding. You know, you know, there's this big thing coming up. How did you approach that speech? You a, a good public speaker? Were you nervous about it? How'd you prepare for I that? I mean, 14-year-old Di would have, uh, would have shit his pants, to be honest, because uh, <laughs> yeah. I, it was like the worst thing. At, at school, it was the worst thing. Do you know, like when you're in English and teacher says, yeah, your turn to read the oh, page, yeah. I'd just be quivering, I'd be a mess. Like that was like my worst nightmare. <laughs> That, that and, you know, somebody throw a spider at me. That and spiders is my worst nightmare. But, <laughs> oh, mate, we've we heard off big time. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I, when, I, when I got to that point in my career, though, I'd been to different functions and been interviewed uh, a lot in sort of public spaces. So I was a lot more at ease. And that 2011 sort of captaincy that you mentioned was, was massive for me because... It was my first time you know, speaking as a peer in front of all these athletes and it went down really well because I think people didn't know what to expect from me. There was a bit of humor in there. Um, the only downside of being the captain in 2011 was that I had to write a new speech then for a year later for the, pretty much the same crowd. And I felt like I'd use all my best bits <laughs> yeah. that first time round. Um, so I did, I did use uh, some of the material from that um, because there was a bigger group there. So speaking to people from the first time. Um, and trying to, yeah, trying to get the tone right was the hardest bit um, because, I, because it's the Olympics, everyone thinks it has to be super serious. And granted it does, but you know, I, I wanted it to reflect sort of my mentality. So I felt like I had a good combination of sort of comedy in there, a little bit about myself and um, you know, a little bit about my journey. And then just trying to think back to when I was an athlete on the team for the first time, what was I going through emotion wise? And um, you know, just trying to reassure the youngsters on the team that everybody's qualified the same way, whether Usain Bolt or um, Mo Farah, whoever it is, you've all had to qualify the same way to get there. Nobody just is allowed to turn up at the Olympics. So we've all gone through the same process. You know, and Usain Bolt was once the youngster on the team. Nobody talks about what he did in like 2007 when he got to final and he sort of tanked. You know, everyone talks about his best experiences. So just trying to sort of lift those youngsters in the team, the people who are obviously nervous and go into a first Olympics, perhaps not where they want to be, maybe. Um, 
I think I did like five, five facts about myself. One of them was that I've once scored a goal against Real Madrid uh, for Swansea. Um, I read that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> another one was um, that I have epilepsy. So I, I, I put a few funny ones in there and then I said epilepsy and then some people cheered, which I said, oh, that's just ridiculous. Why are you cheering my epilepsy? It's a really serious sort of condition. Um, I can't remember what the other two were, but um, I think one of them was actually that that's I, good. one of them was actually that I, I wet myself in primary school doing a school sprint race. <laughs> So like I did these five things like to start off with just to like break the mood and sort of set the tone, give a, give a little sense of my sort of sense of humor, my dry humor sort of thing. Um, in athletics, I think that like, you know, you're always intimidated by somebody older than you, somebody more successful. And you don't, I know what it's like. You don't want to talk to somebody because you think, oh, why would they talk to me? They don't know me. And I just wanted to try and dispel that, you know, and sort of say to people, look, I'm just exactly like you guys have been through those sort of experiences. Um, we've all got funny bones and like, you know, were quite open and honest and just wanted to sort of show that. So so as a captain, say Saturday, I think it's the 4th of August when it's that Super Saturday when Jess, Mo and Greg all won gold. What's your role as a captain during those real high profile moments? Do you have access to those athletes to speak? Are you focused on your own prep because you're in the final two days after that? How do you juggle that balancing act of being a captain, but at the same time focusing on your preparation? So I saw my sort of captaincy role as if I was at the track and other people were competing or I was on the bus and other athletes were heading down or in the dining hall, I would make an effort to go and sit with certain teammates or somebody or, you know, if I saw somebody on their own, I'd speak to them. Or if I saw their performance, I'd say, well done, or, you know, whatever it was. I would I would probably go out of my way more that time um, than I would have in the past. And, you know, I think it's just probably raised awareness that I needed to make more effort to sort of be inclusive of, of other athletes and open up a bit more because I'm quite a, a solitary person. I'm not very outgoing. So, you know, just to sort of pull my finger out and make a bit more effort. But the day in question, Super Saturday, for me, I was on very early that Saturday evening. And I ended up finishing fourth in my semi-final with two guys, I think, set in like massive season's best, one national record. And I, I, I'd gone all season racing as the top guys in the world, finishing first, second or third on every race. And then I ended up finishing fourth in my semi-final. And I knew that I was one of the favorites to get a medal in the final. So for me, it was really difficult to immediately after my race there. It was so difficult. I was in the final. I made it through. I scraped through. I would have been the fastest semi-finalist ever not to make the final if I hadn't got through that's how fast my semi was and I remember seeing seeing Jess just before she was going out for her 800 meters and I, th- I think I gave her a hug and when I came out because our paths crossed and I remember saying um I oh, don't forget to smile because it was pretty much like nailed on that she was going to win you could see she had a bit of nerves but um but yeah that was just a fleeting sort of you know um conversation as it were I didn't see Greg that evening I don't think I didn't see Mo either um, and then by the time those guys are actually winning those medals, I'm probably back at the village sort of, you know, getting my recovery and making sure that I had my massage, had my food and then trying to sort of rest up. Um, so, yeah, it, it's in athletics, it's not a role that you can just hang around, loiter around at the track because you just got to get back and recover. What then? I want to go on to successes and, and disappointments. And, and I'd like to get your perspective on the 2012 final firstly like what is your i i love the preparation and the mindset aspect of things what do you like as a person 24 hours out when i was playing i was i'd wake up for example my eyes would open say if it was a big game for example wales whoever lions as soon as my eyes open i'm like shit test day and then i gotta try and battle breakfast down (laughs) 
Then I got to go back to the bedroom, hibernate in the bedroom for three hours, go back for lunch because I have to eat. I was I didn't like talking to people. Some guys love wandering for coffees and giving tickets out to their families. I'm like, I left the tickets behind the reception, go get them under my name. I'm not speaking to anyone. What What would you be like? Because I can't even imagine. I'm in a team of 15 people. So, you know, the eyes aren't all on you, even though you're a captain. Home Olympics, final medal hope reigning world champion i'd love to know what you're like that 24 hours prior to that final you know how do you prepare i'd love i'd love to find out so for me like i mentioned super saturday fourth uh in the in the semis then i saw the lane draw and we weren't using lane one in the final so i was in lane three in the final which at any other champs would have been a seated lane it's only because we were sort of using we had a nine lane track so we were using lanes two to nine as opposed to one to eight so lane three is like a seated lane for the better athletes three four five and six are usually seated mm. so uh, you know i had the head coach come up to me when i was in the massage bed after that semi and he's like are you uh and i was like i'll stop you there uh, i'm in the final on monday i've got lane three and he's like just give me a nod as if like okay he's obviously dealt with that setback straight away which I felt like I had I was in a final two years earlier in 2009 I finished seventh probably should have got a medal but mentally it was way too much for me at that point in my career because I was nervous you know like I mentioned that I was really consumed by nerves through every round of that championships because it was a new championships to me interesting um, so in 2009 made the final in great shape good enough to get a medal but just didn't sleep really for like three days just like would take sleeping tablets no difference just really struggling to sort of settle my mind was wandering to the competition all the time that's all i could focus on so fast forward to 2012 i've, I've obviously succeeded at the europeans the commonwealth and the worlds um brimming with confidence self-confidence and uh yeah i wasn't really phased or anything i wasn't i didn't feel like nervous um and certainly the year before when i became world champion i really wasn't nervous in the days leading up to it um i approached it very much like very methodically and you know i'm not superstitious so like none of that would affect me in terms of like i'm putting my spikes on the right way around i've done the I've done enough prep work i've done the best i can i really don't care what other people have to say about me because i don't read press about myself and in those 24 hours beforehand i'm just focusing on is my recovery right? Have I done a little warm up today? And then the day off competition, then it's just trying to distract myself as much as possible because inevitably you're going to think about the race. And when I think about it, I usually just run through my race uh, race plan in my head and just play it out. The first setback was that semi final that I'd experienced for a long time, and I just felt like, yeah, I'm going to come back in this final bigger and stronger. I'm going to give a fantastic performance, the best performance that I can give. And then you know it is what it is at the end of it. And I'd obviously wanted to try and get a medal. And I felt like, yeah, I'd give, give the best race I pro- possibly could have at that moment in time, really. But I wasn't overwhelmed by sort of nerves and the occasion and, and stuff like that. So, so when you won the Worlds in 2011, you ran a quicker time in 2012, I think I'm correct in saying. So how do you measure success? Do you measure it with times or do you measure it with medals? Well, yeah, I ran the relay as well and also finished fourth there. If I'd have run an overall two tenths or three tenths faster across the two events, I'd have had two Olympic medals. Yeah. Um, so we're not talking about a big chunk of time, but also then that moment goes from our bronze medal out of taking a bronze medal. You take any medal at world or Olympic level. So that, you know, that small margin means that I've gone from, uh, this could be like an amazing moment for me. I know I got an Olympic medal in, in, in the 400 meter hurdles or in the relay. That's fantastic. Get to be on the podium to our uh, fallen short. I feel, like, feel terrible for like a couple of months after that, like knowing that that opportunity is gone because we don't, we only have that one chance every four years with the Olympics. It's just a long time. We've got to wait to try and put things right. 
You're listening to Captains with me, Sam Warburton, and my guest, Di Green. What do, you, what do you like then in those moments, whether it's good or bad? How do you how do you celebrate the wins, like the, like the world world titles, the Euros, the Commonwealth? How do you celebrate the wins? And then what do you also do in the disappointments when you don't medal? That's probably quite similar to rugby. So like whenever I've won something, I just go out in the lash, to be honest. <laughs> 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 I've, I've, I, you know, being from South Wales, I grew up in a time where everyone would just go out every weekend, you know, on a Saturday. And like I said, when I yeah. was at college, I was out every weekend, and I and I enjoyed that sort of lifestyle. And you know, that, I had to sort of get away from that when I went to university. I went totally the other way and you know, straight and narrow. But when I've had a long, hard year and not drunk since like before Christmas, and we're in sort of August, September, head out for a, for a night out with your teammates, and you go and celebrate and you stay out till the early mornings, and you know that's usually it. But it's usually just one night out and it's done. And then for the uh, disappointments, if you're at a championships, I tend to just keep my head down and just sulk in my room on my own or something. Mm-hmm. You know, just I just don't want to see anybody. I don't want to speak to anybody um, because I, I know that I'm not much fun and. And I think then that sometimes I might get dragged into like, oh, could just come and spend some time with us or whatever. Some of the teammates might say, you know, just, just come and hang out with us. We're just going to go out for a little mm-hmm. bit. And, you know, I always feel better when I'm around other people. My perception is that, oh, actually, I don't want to. But actually, when I do it, I'll, you know, I'll, I'm okay. I can sort of get that distraction then. But in terms of like racing throughout my career, I've done a really good job of like forgetting all the bad races, take the... Uh, you know, a pragmatic approach, look at where I could have done better, what did I do wrong, and then focus on trying to improve those areas in training, but dwelling on those things and giving myself a hard time and sort of pouting and all the rest of it that some people do. It's just not really not really something I've ever done in my career. So I've always been good at just like forgetting negatives and bad performances. Um, but then there's the flip side of that, is that you can sort of like, your ego can get away from you a bit. So I'm sure you've experienced you know, rugby players with big egos who, you know, need to be checked sometimes. And and I've, I was probably yeah. not, it was something I was concerned about during my career when I had that sort of good spell is that I need people around me to keep me honest and to keep my feet grounded. I feel like I did a decent job of that and I never had any memorabilia at my house, never watched my races back, never read any press about myself, good or bad. I just wanted to sort of exist in a very small world whereby I would train, I would race, I would hang out with my friends and my support team and the, the, you know, my training group. And that was it, you know, I didn't want to, didn't really want the fame or anything else. I didn't chase that at that time or, um, yeah, just trying to keep it as grounded and as basic as possible. Do you know what? I'm exactly the same. This actually, I'm not joking now. This happened two days ago. I got a skip in my house and um, I don't like anything up in my house of me, like when I was playing or whatever. Yeah. It's like, just like, I only thought of this because you just said it, you don't like things in the house. And there was three pictures of me in my garage where I train, and there's one of me in my club side, my national team, and in, in a Lions um, in a Lions game. I suddenly thought, God, this is so like narcissistic. I walk into my garage, and there's three massive <laughs> pictures of me. So I showed, I took them all in the skip, and there was this guy. I looked out my window. There's this guy climbing in my skip who I hadn't given any permission to, and he was pulling out these three pictures. I was like, um, can, can, I, can I help you? He's like. Oh, um, I work for a charity. What, what are you doing with these? I'm like, oh, I, I, I don't want them. You know, they're like, they, they make some good money if you signed them. I'm like, yeah, but I, I don't want them. It's me. Like, I don't want to look at me when I'm in the exactly. house. You know? I, but I laugh because you're obviously the same. It's weird when you go home. Is that quite important to you trying to escape the athletic side of it and just be normal? Because you can't consume it all day every day. It's just not mentally healthy, is it? Yeah, you say that you can't consume it. I know people who like are mad keen, and I don't want to stereotype. 
certain event groups, but I'm going to, is that endurance runners are very much eat, sleep, talk, everything about running. And we, and I think that's because they train a lot more together. They tend to live together um, in sort of, you know, training groups and they sort of train in the morning and the afternoon every day, pretty much. They always go for a run in the morning, run in the evening. That's kind of their thing. And I feel like with the endurance groups, there's less chill. I think that's the best way to describe it. There's less chill, there's less relaxation and less, yeah, switching off. Whereas for me, I want to play, like, you know, say Mario Kart with my mates or, you know, uh, you know walk the dog or you know, watch TV, like watch Game of Thrones, whatever it might be, and not talk about, you know, a competition that's happening in Europe somewhere and somebody's like texting me results. I don't really care for that side of things. I just want to switch off from it because... It is draining, it, you know, it's mentally draining. And I feel like when I go training, I'm really switched on and uh, on the ball. And I train to a really good level in terms of you know, applying myself well every every session. And I, I can't take that level of intensity through a normal life. It would just, I'd be knackered. And it's probably part of the reason why I'm still trying to sort of train and compete at 36 is that, you know, I've probably done a good job, I think, of mentally switching off when when things aren't going your way or when you're just not training. So it doesn't feel as draining and it doesn't feel like I've been in the sport for as long as I have. You're on about the, the, the sort of the detail and the diligence. I read that you did a 10,000 word thesis. Is that right? On, on hurdling. So I thought you might have fallen in that category then of you do live it all day, but you are able to switch off. It sounded like, and from your preparation point of view, you're a very meticulous planner, very good at preparing. You study it, you coach it now, don't you? You do online coaching now and some in-person coaching. So it sounds like you have a real thirst for it, but you sort of recognize it's healthy to detach yourself from that at the same time. Absolutely. So like I'm one of those athletes that if a coach sets me a session or wants me to do something like, oh yeah, this is your program. I want, I'm going to question him as to why we're doing certain things. He's going to pick holes, not pick holes, you know, that's the wrong phrase. I'm going to, I want to understand why we're doing it. That's probably the best way. And when you're 21, 22, you don't know your ass from your elbow. You don't know what you're doing. You just get told, <laughs> you get told to jump and you just ask how high. And, and it's until you learn a bit more about the sport and the event that you can actually Oh, I've got a bit of knowledge then, I can apply that data. Yeah. So for me at university, I looked at touchdown times, which is you know, when you're landing off the hurdle for uh, Olympic, World, European finals from the 80s, 90s and noughties and stuff and gathered loads of data to see if there were any trends, any sort of uh, patterns as it were. And you know, I learned a lot from that. Um, but yeah, I certainly didn't feel like I took my work home with me too much. I would just try and make sure that my lifestyle was in a good place that I could come back the next day and deliver a good session. You've got some obvious leadership qualities in the way you obviously perform on the track, the way you are at training, the sort of standards that you set, but also I think other sort of leadership qualities which you demonstrate. And you've been quite outspoken in athletics and and critical of people, particularly drug abuse, and you speak publicly about it, which I think has been fantastic. A lot of athletes actually don't want to speak. They like to reject an interview when they're asked to comment on on a certain topic like that why is it important for you to be outspoken on subjects like that like drugs for example i think for me you get access to the press and they want to interview you before competitions after competitions and you know having that platform you know i shouldn't shy away from the the tough questions um certainly if they pertain to my event um i have raced against people who have doped and you know Certainly in the lead up to London 2012, there was an American who was, I think, on the team who had been banned previously. Then, yeah, I'm going to be outspoken about it because I understand that some people can fail. Um, 
tests for contaminated products and i've seen it because i know there's a, a you know some some people who i used to train with have failed and they failed for contaminated products because they were athletes but they weren't so successful that they could afford to buy um like batch tested stuff but i know that if you're a world champion or if you're an olympic finalist you know whatever it might be if you're right at the sharp end of the sport you can afford to get batch tested stuff and there's no excuse for you to be failing tests for whereabouts or for you know whatever it might be like i, I took supplements during my career i would just take like you know, simple stuff nothing too fancy uh, and i was never trying to get an edge and would take anything that was like on the cusp um and I just felt like, you know, that's not why I was, I started off in the sport. I didn't start off to sort of, you know, try and blur the lines between like, you know, white and you know, black in terms of, you know, good and evil and right and wrong and all that stuff. There is certainly a gray area in our sport and people try to exploit that, but it's never something that I wanted to try and do. And the people I've been around have never wanted to try and, you know, to dope and, and to take those shortcuts. Um, and knowing that I've run at the level I've run at without taking those things, if I can do it, and I don't think I'm the most talented person, then people can, you know, can certainly be achieved. Um, so yeah, when people ask me about that, I'm more than happy to speak about it because, you know, I know that there's, you know, a dozen people in my group who who just like, you know, hate those drugs cheats, and they're not quite at the level I'm at. But nobody asks them what they think, uh, and it's too easy sometimes when you're. A, uh, to, to sort of, I guess, shy away from those questions. And I guess that some people are happy to take the flack whether it comes with it or the attention, and some people don't. So, that, you know, this is their personal thing. But for me, like I said, I don't read the press anyway, so it doesn't really matter what's written in there, whether it was good or bad or whether they twist the story in some way. Um, but, yeah, I was more than happy to speak up about it. And I had a lot of backing from athletes and who would even say, like, oh, what you said was so spot on. Um, well done for saying it, but I would never, I would never come out and say that they said to me, um, and that's fine. That's their prerogative. I'm not going to, you know, give them a hard time for it. But, but yeah, I felt like I should always say something. And um, you know, as you can probably tell, I'm quite open, quite honest. And um, and if it certainly affects my sort of sport and my world, then yeah, you know, I want to try and sort of defend athletics and, and the purity of it. Yeah. So like, yeah, I could talk about that stuff all day. So we don't want to go down that sort of avenue too much. I don't think. Was there? I know you like football growing up. Did you ever reflect on other people growing up from a captaincy perspective, from a leadership perspective? Were there people that you saw growing up or even within athletics that you thought you liked some of the traits that they had that sort of moulded you as a captain and a leader? Uh, absolutely. So there's probably been, there's been three people in the athletics world that I've really sort of like admired. Um, Christine Oharugu, I met her in 2007 mm. for the first time. So I was just this fresh pup trying to come through and I was on a training camp with her, um, not with her, but sort of actually we were both on the same British training camp. And I was just watching her train so much and watching what she was doing. She allowed me to join in with like one of her warm ups and cool downs and stuff like that. And, you know, I was just eager to pick her brains and sort of learn about her mentality, but it was very much like in keeping what I liked. She's just like, was just the quietest person on camp, but was doing so much work and just getting on with it and not complaining. Um, you know, she didn't want to be praised for it. Um, and then another person then was Jess Ennis. And I didn't, me and Jess came through the ranks together, as in we went to the junior camp together, um, same age. And I think we went to one or two champs, sort of, you know, early 20s. But I don't think I spoke to her until like I was, 
and I think it was like maybe 2010 or something like that, 2011 even. Um, we were both in, in, at a competition in New York and uh, her, she was over there with her fiance and her physio and I was just over there on my own. And so you fly in for a competition the night before, fly in Friday, race Saturday during the day. And so after the comp, I asked her sort of at the comp, I was like, um, oh, how did it go out there? How did it go? Oh, shit, I went shit. I was like, oh, all right, okay. Uh, and then, and then she, she had another event to do. And so I did my event and then I saw her sort of get on the bus at the end of the day then. And I was like, oh, how did your, how did your second one go? How did your long jump go or whatever? Oh, well, that was bloody shit as well. And I was like, oh, Jesus, I've barely spoken to this person and she's already swearing and sort of like, you know, cussing out. <laughs> yeah. And which I would have guessed that, yeah. No, I know, because that's the thing. I, I probably hadn't spoken to her because I didn't think that we'd have a similar mindset. I just assumed that butter wouldn't melt in her mouth kind of thing, as in, you know, the personality you see on TV, she's super nice and friendly, whereas she is super nice and friendly in real life, but she's got this hardened edge whereby she takes no nonsense, she has high standards, you know, and she applies herself every day in training. So we went out that evening, myself, I joined her team for, for dinner, got to know her a lot better and realized actually we're quite sort of similar in terms of our, like, you know, take no nonsense in training, want to get the job done, that sort of things, highly motivated without maybe, you know, without that ego. And, you know, she'd already been world champion, I think at this point, and, you know, far more successful than I was. Uh, and she was a much bigger name. Um, so yeah, I've looked up to her, even though we're sort of, you know, we're coming through together. Um, and then the other person then was uh, an 800 meter girl from Scotland called Lindsay Sharp, who I spent a lot of time with around uh, Loughborough. And and I saw her training and she was just like, every time she was training, she was just training so hard um, and applying herself so well. But she wasn't like the rest of, she wasn't like other um, endurance runners that I've seen and sort of like, you know, chatting and getting too invested as she could switch off quite well. So I think, you know, now that I'm saying out loud, I've probably seen a bit of myself or the sort of the mindset and the approach that I like and value myself in these athletes, which is probably why I've sort of watched them and thought, yeah, do you know what? I see a bit of that. I can admire what they're doing. Um, and, I, you know, if, if, if like you're picking a dream team of people to train with, you want those sort of individuals around you so they would be my, you know, my three picks kind of thing. If you had to make your own captain's compass now, what four traits would you think are fundamental to demonstrate to be a good captain? Uh, that's a good question. And uh, I hate questions like this. <laughs> so I've got to do some thinking now. Uh, professionalism goes up there. Mm. So, so like my old thoughts, like when I think of a captain when I was younger, there would be somebody who was, you know, arguably above average skill level because you had to have that respect from people. Um, you need that level of, you know, professionalism you know the lead by example sort of thing i don't know if pragmatic is, is the is the right word to use it measured maybe um yeah, approachable would be another one what were yours some of yours so is it funny you say i was very similar so approachable because I, I had like people down and it was because mm. you have to be approachable to get because like humility i think is a massive thing um so say you you rocked up to you know that, that training camp in portugal and you had like mental jewelry on 
um, some Jordans, giving it the big one. Yeah. <laughs> like p- people don't associate with that, you know, they yeah, don't. Exactly. I think showing humility. So when you say approachable, I really like that one. I had professionalism down as well. Um, I had professionalism. Then my other two was, and you sort of said in professionalism was performance. You have to lead by what you do, by, by performance. Um, and then positive. I was always a really positive person, but you seem to be the sort of person who would encapsulate those four pretty pretty easily because that just seems pretty second nature to all those things yeah i think i think i would i would massively agree with that the only thing that's different for me is that uh the, the positive thing as in to exude a you know obviously your role would have been to uplift your teammates and you know put them in a good mindset whereas it's not something like, like we've discussed it's not something that that's probably the the, the one of those you know the, of those four that i have the least I guess exposure to, or certainly in our sport, that's that's the one least. Yeah. Because like, bizarrely, in training, I hate it when people cheer me on in training. Like uh, I've been in groups where like nobody speaks, yeah. and you know that's fine, <laughs> and everybody just turns up. And when you finish, everyone's just like, you know, oh well done, see you guys tomorrow. And I've been in groups where everyone's like, oh well done, high fiving each other. And I think like <laughs> like, like we're just training, and what we've achieved today yeah. is good. But we have to do it again tomorrow and we have to do it again the day after yeah. and like it's just par for the course so we shouldn't be celebrating doing the bare minimum we require to get to where we need to be it's like i, I don't i don't respond well to like you know somebody blowing smoke up my ass or just complimenting me in a good session if i've had a good session i'll know i've had a good session you sound like a, a brilliant person to have on on a coaching team and i know you said you're doing some coaching now what advice would you give to any amateur athletes or captains who are listening? In what is order? What what do they need to do to get to the level that that you got to? I think in talking about athletics, there's always the assumption that the, the top guys are doing something magical in terms of training, and they're absolutely not. They're just doing it consistently. Um, they're learning how to train properly, effectively, and they're doing it day in day out. There isn't a magic wand. Um, there's no shortcuts there's no magic sessions that you can do um, and as long as you've got a uh, I would say to try and get a, a good group of individuals and you know a good team around you so that they share you know the ambition the goal the encouragement they don't have to be on the same level as you but they've got the same level of commitment that's 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 all you need you just want somebody to share in that sort of you know grind and that sort of work because there is no shortcuts and you just need to keep plugging away um, because you will get the results that you want but at the end of it you'll reach your you know your peak whatever that might be and if it's fortunate enough to be like one of the best in the world or or, or, or ranked you know 250th in the world it doesn't matter it's just, it's it, with athletics you're just trying to get the best out of yourself and as long as you know that you've applied yourself in the best way you should be happy with that um, and then the other thing then is just to enjoy the process of getting there if you don't enjoy training, you should never do it. Um, you know, I, I've always enjoyed the training in athletics and I enjoy competing even more. But if I didn't enjoy it, there's no way I'd be uh, as successful or as committed, I think, to doing the, the hard yards. And for those sessions that you don't enjoy so much, find somebody to share in the pain with you who does enjoy it a bit more and makes it a bit more manageable. <laughs> I, I hope I didn't put you off because I was sort of trying to stop myself from laughing, but I'm laughing because I, I, I couldn't, bloody agree more because people would be like what's the single one exercise i need to do i'm like to me i'm like i don't know what you're trying to tell me are you telling me that you're so lazy you only want to do the one easiest thing that gives you a shortcut because i'm like actually it's like the overnight success like people Mm. want they want to go from zero to 100 overnight i'm like it's 
it's probably going to be it's going to like in your case it's going to be years the journey takes a long time to get there and there's people i see on social media giving all the they might be doing something say like if it was a, a running coach for example doing some crazy exercise which he knows is going to get the attention on instagram but actually it's just a daily commitment the daily grind that no one sees relentlessly over time which is actually what separates the elite from the sub elite like like yourself so that's why that's why i was laughing because i love it when uh, yeah. somebody actually says it from a different sport and it just reaffirms what i think as well yeah no absolutely there's a there's a, there's a phrase that i don't like in day-to-day training is when because if I train as a group, there might be sprinters, like 100, 200 meter runners. There might be uh, some multi-eventers there. Um, but when somebody refers to it as a big session, it's like it's not a big session. It's just a session. Um, like there's no such thing as a big session because if you put it up on like a pedestal like that, it makes it seem like it's a special occasion. Whereas you know, in 48 hours time, I've got to do another, what you would call big session. Like it's just not a big session. And I often find that those people who refer to it as that are not the people who are at the sharp end of the sport. Uh, and finally, how would you like other athletes from 2012 to remember you as a person and a captain? Oh, this is such like a narcissistic question, isn't it? It's such a loaded question. <laughs> You've got to say good things. I know. This is like, this is like, my, this is like my worst nightmare, this sort of question. Uh, I don't know. I would like them, if the, the, the things that we discussed in terms of what to see in a captain and you know, professionalism, things like that, if, if, I would like to think that they felt some of those things towards me. Uh, but I'll, I'll, honestly, I've not really given it any thought until you just asked me, which is it's quite an interesting question. It is. I don't know if I did like a feedback form, but yeah. That's it's an interesting one. Do you do you ever get feedback though in your sport? Have you ever had feedback like ah yeah Sam that was a that was a shit uh, pre-match talk or anything like that? Do you, you know, does that happen? <laughs> oh god, there, well, there was a couple of players who would give some brutal honesty, um, and one player would say to me like even when I was young I, I didn't like speaking. I'm like an introvert. He'd be like mate you need to speak more, and I was like. I thought like it's a harsh way of saying it, but I was like, "Well, no, he's right. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a mute, you know." And as I got older, obviously, I found I was much more confident in my ability to to speak publicly. Yeah, but I found it hard. So yeah, but rugby boys are pretty brutal with their feedback, you know. So that honesty keeps us grounded and all that. No, I was just going to say that that's that's good. Is uh, having that feedback, having that sort of rapport with uh, with teammates and stuff. If anything, that's the only thing I sometimes missed about athletics is that. I quite enjoyed like the you know the sort of quick-witted sort of putting each other down kind of environment you get from you know they <laughs> yeah. keep you honest they keep you sane and give you funny moments yeah. and you know I, I wish I'd had more of them in my career but um, but yeah like that that environment sounds like you know, sounds ideal. Well, it's only a small bit of feedback, but is my feedback too would be is I always thought you were a great candidate as captain for, for GB but after listening to you speak as well it's blatantly obvious why why they picked you as captain and you'd certainly be I'd certainly follow you into battle in a rugby game if you were captain of Wales anyway so genuinely die thanks for, for coming on and speaking to me I, I've loved and love you know watching you race you sort of particularly from a Welsh perspective you know you flew the flag for Wales and GB incredibly well and to have you on has, has been an honour mate so thanks so much for speaking to us it's, it's been a massive pleasure I, you know, I get sort of requests coming through every now and then but as soon as I got one with with sort of your name on it as well I was like Jesus this is actually something I really want to do I've, I've obviously admired you as well from afar and uh, whilst I'm not a, a, you know, a hardcore rugby fan don't you know maybe cut that bit out uh, once I'm not a hardcore rugby fan I follow the international <laughs> team you know, Lions and things like that so you know I've got I know what's going on and I was saying like oh I imagine that if, if we were in the same sport we've got on because I feel like your approach and mindset is very similar to myself and it's just been you know massively reaffirmed from the conversation today so it's it's 
it's been nice and rewarding from that side of things for me to know that you know there's other people out there who think the same thing and have the same approach because like you said i am an i'm an introvert as well so we're not naturally going to find each other very easily so it is nice when you know you come together like this and certainly certainly across sports which doesn't happen very often so yeah it's been a massive pleasure for me and i'm you know really grateful you thought of me to uh, to come on Ah, nice one thanks Dino Legends and yeah catch up soon no doubt yeah, sounds good that sounds good really appreciate it thanks again to Dai for his time great to catch up with a like-minded athlete who is passionate about his craft like I said at the top it's fascinating hearing the mindset required from athletes in individual sports obviously I never really experienced that but I think I would have done okay he is such an honest talker, very thoughtful and aware that making the most noise doesn't necessarily mean you are making the most sense. I think the biggest takeaway is that there is no substitute for hard work. If you want to achieve great things like die, you need to stay focused and remember that the juice is worth the squeeze. If you haven't already, do go back and listen to the episode with Seb Co, another athlete who talks really, really well and in his current role as president of World Athletics knows a thing or two about leadership. Okay, that's it for this week. Next time, we are leaving the sporting field and looking at leaders from the political world with a great guest, the writer and political strategist, Alistair Campbell. See you next time. Crowd Network, a place where you belong.